is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. from the Church of the Rest of Us Conference in sunny South Florida in February. We have 600 pastors and ministry leaders at Family Church today, and uh, we're meeting new people, encouraging each other, and we're talking about collaboration. We've got some awesome, awesome pastors and leaders that have joined us for the conference. Leslie, what are we talking about today on the Church for the Rest of Us podcast? Well, our conference theme is collaboration, so we thought we would collaborate with some of our guests. So we have three people here with us. We have Pastor Jed Coppinger, Pastor Jay Strother, and Pastor Jeff Robinson. So uh, I want them to introduce themselves. Yeah. yeah, I want them to introduce themselves. So let's start with Pastor Jed. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry, your family? Yeah, so... Excited to be here today. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee is where I'm from. I don't know if we had anybody from Tennessee, but uh, not many of us. Glad to be here in the warmth with you guys. Pastor of, for nine years, the church I planted, and we're excited to be here. Married, got three kids, 14, 12, and nine, and they all wish they were here with me. Yeah, and our famous thing for uh, the Coppinger family is your wife went to college where? Southwest Baptist University. Southwest Baptist University. And I've got two boys play football at Southwest Baptist. Right. We've got the SBU connection That's right it. here. That's it. There's not many connections like that. No, this is a very small circle of connection. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. I'm Jay Strother. I'm with Brentwood Baptist Church, just south of Nashville as well. Uh, so we are grateful for the warm temperatures. I've been there 20 years, served as student minister next gen, and then in 2010, planted the first campus out of Brentwood. We now have eight. And so I oversee what's called the South Region. So we've regionalized uh, for leadership. And I also continue to pastor the Station Hill campus. Wife Tanya, 25 years this summer. So we're looking forward to that celebration. We have five children between the ages of 21 and five. So all the ages and stages. There you go. Jeff Robinson, Grace Fellowship, Church for All Nations right here in West Palm. Wife Jen, three boys, five, three, and nine months. And here with our awesome team at Grace. Love you guys. Yeah, and Jeff is an avid like hunter. So he hunts alligators, pythons, and all kinds of scary things. And so, and then sends us videos. So I really appreciate that. Hey, tell us a little bit about the kind of leadership. Let's go, let's go back to you, Jed. What kind of leadership structure do you have in place at Redemption City? Because you planted that church, but now your church is kind of a, a good-sized church. You own your own farm where you grow food for people who need it. We do. And so, like, what's your structure look like? Yeah, so we would call ourselves a congregational church, but we're led by the staff primarily. We've got elders that we say lead the church protectively, and then we have deacons, obviously, that uh, serve or servant leaders for our church. So if you were to talk in kind of our circles, the thing that would distinguish us out is having the, the elder leadership in that way. But you are congregationally, the congregation has some role. The congregation has some role. So there's a very short list of decisions that the congregation speaks into, but there are some of those things like budget or uh, moving forward on big purchases, membership, things like that. Adding some, some of our staff members, they have a role in that. The more engaged you are, the more input you have. So if you're not engaged in any other area, then it's not going to be a very meaningful voice that you have in those things. But a lot of us, from a collaboration standpoint, for hiring someone in kids, that kids leadership team is going to have a much more significant role than someone that's not that happens to be on the membership list. So there's a, a small list. And then the elders, they help make sure we're a New Testament church. 
And so they have a lot of preferences. They don't necessarily get their preferences. Their role is to make sure we're a New Testament church according to our confession and our covenant. But in terms of the day-to-day, the music choice, the song choice, the kids' curriculum, the staff is doing that. Elders step in if we violate some major lane there. But otherwise, the staff's leading out in the day-to-day. How about you, Jay? Because your church is massive. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of people, big, big facilities. So how do you guys do it? Yeah, we are very similar to your structure here at Family Church. So we have trustees. Uh, which are 12 men and women selected by the congregation to represent the congregation. And they have kind of a monthly meeting where they meet with the senior pastor and the senior executive pastor to be sure that we're online, that we're being accountable. We have deacons as well, but they serve in a pastoral role. They are not a decision-making body. Then we have uh, kind of our staff leadership is what we call the executive leadership team. Senior pastor, senior executive pastor, and then the heads of each. We have three regions that oversee several campuses each. And so that's kind of the day-to-day operations with the trustees kind of serving in that oversight role. And the more multi-site you are and the larger those sites are, the more of that kind of structure is required, isn't it? Yeah, we actually just adopted that two or three years ago. And as I mentioned to you, I just sat through the workshop on church governance because our governance was put into place in 2002. It served us well, but we're trying to scale that for what's next in the future. How about you guys, Jeff? We have uh, elders, so we would be elder-led. Elders call the senior pastor and serve with him. And as far as the ministries, it's basically staff-driven, and we're all accountable. So we want our congregation to have a, uh, a voice, but we don't have regular business meetings. Yeah. All right, so let me ask you this. When it comes to your elders, are your elders like permanent? Do they rotate? How does that work at Grace? We have a, a rotation. Like they're on for so many years? or Yeah, we do now. It's two, three-year terms, mandatory uh, sabbatical for a year after that. Okay. And then you serve again. Yeah. How about you, Jed? Do you guys? Yeah, so we just do one-year renewals, one-year commitment. Early on, we had a little bit longer, but then people wouldn't be able to fulfill the commitment. So much changes year to year. So one-year commitments, we re-up it, reevaluate it, go from there. Let me ask you this, because I'm curious about this. So, like, in your structure, are all of your elders, are some of them paid and some of them not paid? Or some of them, how does that work out? There's one who's paid and he does basically the work of a staff member, but the rest would be unpaid. Plus you. Right. You're paid. Right. Okay. But I'm not technically on But you're not board. an elder. Right. Okay. Right. So you're kind of ex officio. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about you guys, Chad? I'm on the board as the lead pastor. I'm the lead elder as well. Everyone else is volunteer, a non-staff pastor. We called them at one time. So they're not paid. I'm paid. But uh, that's how we go. And for your trustees, do they rotate or? They do, yeah. They serve a four-year term and then three roll off and three roll on. So every year we're electing three. So there's continuity. So, you know, three-fourths of the elder team or the trustee team has been in place, you know, every year as three new ones roll on. So, but that creates kind of a fresh pipeline for leaders as well. So we're talking right now upper level structure and leadership among your churches and your organizations, but all of you said day-to-day is staff-led. So as we talk about collaboration and we think about day-to-day ministry, what are some ways that you foster collaboration among your teams? I don't know. Anybody can start. Jay? Yeah. Well, one of the things we've learned is having a rhythm is really important. So weekly, all of the executive teams get together and then all of the campus teams meet together every Tuesday. So that way there's a cascading of decision making, important, you know, emphasis on things. Uh, So we do that weekly. We have a monthly all staff gathering 
a lot of times now we've gone to doing that online, but we're all, you know, watching, asking questions about things that are monthly updates. And then quarterly, we have a big, and it's almost like a party, right? It's all staff, all campuses, part-time, full-time people get together for a big quarterly staff meeting. And after that meeting and right before, we have ministry team leads. So we have six areas of key ministry. You got the pastors, the pastoral staff. So the campus pastors, we meet together every week to study our text and preach because we all preach the same topic and text, but at our campuses. And then we have other, you know, next gen worship missions, groups or discipleship and connections, you know, and so all those teams meet monthly as well to do cross campus collaboration and they all have a lead. How about you, Jed? What do you do? Yeah. You have a farm. (laughs) Yeah. We just get, get our hands dirty, you know. Now, listen. I mean, we do have a team that leads the ministry. We grow food and give it away. We've given away 75,000 pounds of food to food shortages in the last two years in the name of Christ. And so we have a ministry team that does that. All of our ministry teams, they have meeting rhythms just like Jay went through with their church, right? We've got our Mondays are for meetings. That's where everything launches for us. And then that everything flows from that one-on-ones team meetings, and then out to your volunteer team meetings. We're a smaller church compared to these. It's just one site, one campus that we have going. But a big thing for us that was easy to overlook, and maybe it's, we could easily take this for granted, but I, I think it's worth mentioning, is one of the major ways to foster collaboration is to make sure you've got really great clarity. It is easy for leaders to think that what they're thinking is clear when it really isn't clear. And so you're trying to put together a team that doesn't know what their role is and doesn't know what the score is. And so if you don't have clarity on where we're going and who we're going with and what the role is, you end up with a team that really isn't able to get a win. And I think we all believe that the Great Commission is a team sport. And in order for any team to get a win, you got to be clear on what the role is. And we really ran into a lot of trouble with that early on. Starting the church, you know, you don't have those systems and you're taking off in a plane that you're still building. I don't think it's ever built, you know, at any size, at any stage. But there are certain, there's sufficient clarity. You may never get exhaustive clarity, but there's sufficient clarity that's needed in order for a team to collaborate. Otherwise, really good people that have really good intentions end up doing really bad things that you could easily avoid if you don't have that clarity. That's really good. What about you, Jeff? So the question is how to foster and encourage collaboration. Yeah, how do you do it on, yeah, Grace. Yeah. So to look under the hood, for us, it's been, why doesn't this happen as much as it should? Like, if we're going to do that, and maybe some of us who are here for the first time, it's a new idea. Why is it the, the norm? And I think you've got to have the ability as a leader to say there's fear in that. The reason why we maybe hadn't started that three or five years ago is because if I'm the leader and I say we're going to collaborate and I'm throwing it out on the table and say, give me your thoughts, give me your critique, I've got to be secure enough in the Lord and to lead in that way. So we've talked about that even on our all-staff meeting this past Monday. We talked about that great theologian leader named Michael Scott from the office who you've referenced before, Jimmy, right? Great so for all of our uh, Gen great Xers right. yeah, and our millennials know who that is. But there is a research done by um, UC Berkeley that conservative school and it was having to do with abusive leaders right the opposite of being able to collaborate and the key of what they found is the data ultimately suggests that it's about self-worth that's the reason why it doesn't happen that's the reason why toxic environments happen so for us we just tried to anytime we collaborate to go back to who we are in Christ what we're about and that's just so good it's a team sport the Great Commission because if we start collaborating and we've not dealt with personal insecurities big picture, then it may be more of a false start. So 
That's so good. And we kind of talked about that this morning. I felt like Pastor Jimmy did in 1 Corinthians 3. A mark of maturity is recognizing that you're co-laboring. And you can invite more people in when you have more mature view of leadership or more self-worth, more self-confidence in the Lord than you know. The more people that speak into this, the better it's going to be. It's not putting me down. It's making us all better. So that's really, really good. I like that. And I think all these are such great points. All three of you made kind of a different dimension of it because, Jed, I appreciate your call for clarity because you're right. As a leader, if we haven't created a, a structure of clarity, how does anybody even know what they're collaborating on? And I think, Jay, your point, having the right kind of meetings and having, you know, that old book, uh, Death by Meeting, yeah. is so powerful because he talks about the need for different kinds of meetings. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the key is to not get bogged down, but it really is this kind of better together idea. One of the things that we've been working on right now, we know we need a new scorecard, right? We're great in the church about measuring lagging indicators, you know, buildings and budgets and butts and seats kind of stuff. But we've got to figure out leading indicators. So instead of us sitting around in a, as an executive team and saying, this is what we're going to decree, we've actually this year empowered our ministry teams to change our scorecard. So let's let the groups guys tell us what metrics measure if our groups are going wider and deeper at the same time. Let the worship guys tell us, how do we know if we're developing and cultivating true worshipers and spirit and truth, you know, so, and then they're going to give that to us. And so we've empowered those teams, right? I love your better together language because I think that is so crucial that we continue to cultivate that because it's really true. Then the pressure's off. We don't have to sit in some room, right? As the grand poobahs and say, this is what everybody else is going to do. Instead, we get to hear from the people on the front lines. And as you know, the bigger you get, the more difficult it becomes to really be sure that decision-making, timely decision-making, as we learned in COVID, right, is pushed to the front lines as much as possible. I think all of that is so, so powerful. And I like your thought about rhythms, too. Because rhythms, when you have different kinds of meetings, different kinds of purposes, you have this better-together mindset. Creating these rhythms allows you to methodically make you know, you got to have some kind of meeting where, like, what the heck are we going to do this Sunday? You got to have that meeting, right? Because right? Right. we got to have church okay. on Sunday. Yeah, but Comes you got to be looking. Days. Yeah, but you right, exactly. <laughs> Sorry to mention that, guys. <laughs> but you got to also yeah. be thinking, what are we going to do yeah. next month? Yeah. What are we going to be doing at the for Christmas? What are yeah. we going to be doing over the next five? You know, so all of that requires a different yeah, kind and of. If, if you have the right kind of meetings, people know what to expect, and they know where their voice can be heard, and that's so important for empowerment. Yeah, really, really powerful. All right, so I feel like we have four experts up here in leading and in collaborating. So if you could just say one thing that you've done that you really feel like has given a breakthrough maybe in collaboration, is there anything you've tried that you feel like's really worked? Let's start with you, Jeff. I think celebrating the fact that we're moving forward, even if it's a micro failure, like telling our team we want you to fail, right, if you're at Grace. We don't want it to be a macro failure. There's distinction between those two. Be clear on that. But the fact that we're moving forward, so we as leaders step back from like a helicopter or drone parenting of our staff teams and say, if we're moving forward, we're failing, we're stumbling, we're growing the whole time to build that mentality. That's fantastic. Because we are going to, because one of the worst, one of the things that keeps us from collaborating, it goes back to the self-worth issue too, is we feel like if we come up with an idea, it has to work or maybe we're not the right leader or whatever. And where we really mess it up is when we dress up our idea in God language. So instead of just the saying, Jesus juke. Yeah. Instead of just saying, Hey, as we looked at this, pray with this, looked at it, we think this is going to be a good decision. We go, oh, no, no. You know, I went up on the mountain. I'm coming down from the mountain. This is the, and then when it doesn't work now, what? And so it really, and it keeps churches locked in on a bad idea too long because they can't walk it back. 
And I think that's really, really good. How about you, Jay? Yeah. One of the things, an example we've learned over time is that sometimes there's an importance of being all in on something and let your church see that. I know you guys do camp, I think, this way, right? So it's this thing, it doesn't matter what your role is. Like, you're going to find a role to play with our camp because that's an investment in our next generation, and we're all going to make that together. So, like, at our campus, Vacation Bible School, because we're in a community of booming young families, we have nearly as many people, kids come to VBS as we have in total attendance on a church on a Sunday. So it literally takes the entire staff and all of our key leaders to pull off Vacation Bible School. But there's something important for that. Even when the pastor is helping out and serving and the worship leaders teaching the missions track. And I mean, you know, so there's some times when for all the strategy that we can have all day long, there's just, man, the visible, we call them catalyst events. You know, we don't do a ton of big events, but the ones we do are catalytic. They're tied to our mission. And when the staff goes all in on that and we collaborate, we have a lot of fun. And the people see us doing ministry together, having fun, and that models something important for them. How about you, Jed? I love the failure piece. We're really great at that. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, we're really great at that. So we almost made it a core value. We almost made a thing out on our sign that we're a little bit less terrible than we were last year, but we haven't done that yet. So that really is an important piece. I think one that maybe was unusual for us, the clarity piece is a really important thing, but that was probably just our own struggles. I'd say the uh, just time. Again, a lot of times I think we want to overthink the challenge, and it's important to have meetings. It's important to have the rhythm to get clear on where we're going and how everybody can contribute to that, to give freedom to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, I feel like we've seen dividends when we've spent more time with one another. There wasn't some thing that we had to do. You know, they say time is love. I think that there really is a sense in which people will start to care more about what it is. They'll collaborate more when there's that chemistry and you can't force chemistry. You got to have the time. So at our church, we want to grow, but we want to grow at the pace of care. And you really can't really care for one another and really know, unless you know one another and you can't know one another unless you're spending time with one another. So have fun. You give your team's permission to do things, and I found it takes a little bit more time than I thought, a little bit more energy than I thought to create situations where people can have fun together because there's always more than you can do that you need to do. You feel that pressure constantly, but I would say as you build into one another and have some fun with one another, it helps the collaboration. All right, so last little question. Let's kind of do this. We'll do this sort of rapid fire, but I just like to go through the four of you guys. So people are listening to this. A lot of them, medium-sized churches, smaller churches, Maybe don't have the same level of resources as some of us have right now, but we haven't always had. And so what is one thing you'd say to somebody that they could, no matter where they are, they could start here. Here's one thing you could do to move the needle towards collaboration. Find the wisest people you have in your church. Top three, five, just to get together, share your heart. Say, I've never done this before. This is all new, but your church needs you. Your pastor needs you. Here's some thoughts, ideas. Here's where I think would be a good direction to go, right? Yeah, not that I've been awesome. on the mountain. I love not it. That, not yeah. that my name is Moses, but here's yeah. where I think may work. Now, I may be wrong, but I want you to speak into that. That'll empower people. Yeah. And if you start small, rather than just get up on a Sunday morning and say, I have this massive vision and I want your thoughts, get ready for your email, right? So you start there. Yeah, and I would jump off that same one. You know, when we talk about collaboration, it's not just paid staff people. God has put amazing people in our churches, right? If I believe the New Testament, God has put every spiritual gift that my church needs to do the mission that God has called my church towards. 
Therefore, there are people in my congregation that I need to get to know. Listen, their gifts, their experience are amazing. We're just talking to Jed. Let me give you a quick example of this. When we were starting to build our campus, after we were in a school for years, we were in lease space for years, right? I was overwhelmed with the construction process. God dropped a guy in our lap who, by the way, at one time was a member of First Baptist West Palm Beach who had spent his career building buildings for the federal government. Now, what's worse than a Baptist committee and city council? The federal government. That's the only thing, right, that's worse. And so he was like, I got this, man. And, you know, he was retired, and he just took that and ran with it. And, man, what a blessing. And had I tried to manage a construction process, I would have been overwhelmed, no time to care for people, no time to preach the word, you know. And so God puts those people around us. And I spent a lot of time just listening to him guide me through, you know, that process as a church. So I think, yes, collaborating with the incredible people that God has put around you, get to know your key leaders and your people who are showing up, who are in the game. And one of the things, that, just to piggyback on that, I struggle sometimes with how do you fit them into the rhythms of your ministry, and, and that's a challenging yeah, thing. Sure. But one thing that's really helped us is, and this is a small thing, is once a month having one of those leaders talk about their one big thing or like one thing they're really gifted at and just tell them, hey, will you come talk to our staff or come talk to this team for 15 minutes on this topic, whatever it is that you're passionate about. It's been amazing how we benefited from that level of collaboration. And it's a low risk, high reward kind of thing as well. Incredible. I think one of the things I would say that, that you need to really, again, this is a daily, and maybe it's a daily battle. It's a consistent battle that you just need to identify. I think we all struggle with it at some, we have at some point, which is that there's a tendency not to collaborate because there's a tendency for all of us to have a higher view of ourselves and our limited view and a lower view of other people's perspectives and their limited view. Just because we do happen to see some things that they don't see, but they see some things that we don't see, but it's easy for us to not hear that silent voice and miss out on some of the innovation and some of the inspiration that God has for us. And so I would just say battle the tendency to have pride that kind of puffs us up to think it's built on a half truth. We do see some things they don't see, but there's some things they see that we don't see. And I think if we're honest, you go a little deeper, you recognize that sometimes there's a lack of confidence in the spirit's work in someone else's life. We got a higher level of confidence in the spirit's work in our own life. So I would just say, that doesn't solve all the problems, but it's a battle line that I wish I would have battled earlier in my ministry. I'd be a lot further ahead if I had. All right, Leslie Bennett, last word. Well, I would say it's all really been said here, but some of the key ideas is that there's always somebody that you can ask to give input into what you're doing that probably knows a lot more about it than you do. And just welcoming that input and that feedback into your own life and then listening to that person. So not just listening to respond, but listening to hear what they have to say and really being open to the ideas that they're sharing with you is super key. And around here, we also like to use this term, umbrella of mercy. So we like to let people know that you can say whatever you want to say. If you kind of feel like it's a silly idea, it might seem a little stupid, you can claim the umbrella of mercy, and then we can just all laugh at you together. And it does happen. Hey, thank you guys so much for being with us. I appreciate all of our listeners listening, those live and those listening online. It's been fun being live in the room and I hope that you will consider joining us next year. So next year, you can be here live March the 2nd, 2023 for Church for the Rest of Us. Bring your team. Come and collaborate. We want to learn from you. There's some great people that are going to be here that you can learn from as well. And we're going to focus on the power of the neighborhood church next year at Church for the Rest of Us. I think that's really important, really pertinent. So I'm Jimmy Scroggins signing off for Leslie Bennett, Jed Coppinger, Jay Strother, and Jeff Robinson. Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. 
I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.